Hello and welcome back to the Comic Literate Podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, penny dreadfuls, web comics, newspaper comics, essentially any single frame illustrations where the characters use bubbles to talk or think. I'm your host, the soon to be known as Comic Stan, and with me as always is my garrulous host, it's Jamie. Garrulous? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I've never seen it before, so I'm trusting thesaurus.com has recommended an actual word. That is an archaic piece of language. Oh, so it wasn't Urban Dictionary by accident then. It wasn't like, <laughs> yeah, it is a word. We all say it all the time. Like, yeah. I, I've never heard it, but I'll trust you. Are you garrulous, fam? Uh, well, I'm not. You are. Hey. According to... <laughs> We've got we've got plenty of uh, plenty of words. There's a there's a plethora of words still oh, to come. Oh, a, sh- a relative smorgasbord. A smorgasbord. Of, <laughs> you have to say it with a smorgasbord. A smorgasbord. Do you know in Australia they call a buffet a smorgie? That makes sense. I'm going they, for a smorgie, mate. They always add ie at the end of things, don't they? They love it. It's where we. Uh, yeah, no, it's where we get like doggo and stuff from. I thought that was. Uh, I mean, I I attribute that with internet, but. It's it's it was Australian parlance that the internet grabbed hold of and loved. Right, and then okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's also why a selfie is called a selfie because it was an Australian bloke who did it first. Is the general rule if it's got ie on the end or i or y, it's probably from Australia. It's an Aussie word, yeah. What about Beanie Baby? Do you think they are uh, originated from Australia? No, they come from Iceland. Really? No. <laughs> you got me the- you raised my hopes and dashed them away expertly sir well done good one i see you know your judo well i have trust issues now anyway <laughs> we are not doing the normal news or corners this is a cornerless episode a, a sphere one might say maybe spherical it's yeah. a very circuitous episode whatever you say man because <laughs> um, we are doing a topic and this topic is probably gonna last a while so we're just gonna in it well it could be and we're just gonna jump straight into it every time i've said it like <laughs> no, if I say this episode's gonna be longer, this episode's gonna be shorter. They're always long. Yeah, they, absolutely. We've just got to accept that the normal episode length these days is is an hour and a half, yeah. roughly about, give or take what how much I edit in or leave out. Obviously, I had to take out all the uh, stuff you said. The what was it? The vaguely supremacist race theory stuff. I had to oh, take the all, rant I went on. Yeah, yeah, I had to take all that out last episode. So, uh, so it's time to settle in, pour mm. yourself a nice glass of mead, unless of course you listen to the podcast while you're driving, in which case just beer. Is there non-alcoholic mead? Is that a thing? Oh, mate, it's 2023. There's non-alcoholic everything. I mean, <laughs> most things <laughs> Most things are non-alcoholic. Look at this non-alcoholic bread. It's delicious. I bought these non-alcoholic shower curtains. <laughs> what are the odds? Internet culture, uh, there was a the picture a while ago and it was um, gluten-free lap dancers being advertised. <laughs> I was like, we don't want to miss out on a good deal, you know? Surely in a lap dance, you want some good buns. I need to download some kind of like wah, wah, <laughs> or theme. That to was it. a good dad joke. You know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get the um, tumbleweed sound. Is there a sound of a tumbleweed? Like a... <laughs> probably can't hear it on the microphone. The sound of the American interior. Yeah, sure. Or the uh, the, the unexplored west. Is that what they call it? The great uh, road out to... Um, oh, I don't know. I've lost it. Did you know tumbles aren't native to America? Did someone bring them in for aesthetic purposes? No, they. It was a it was a contaminated box of seeds from Russia, and they're not so much of a problem in Russia. 
but in the American interior, they are a problem. And so, yeah, tumbleweeds are an invasive species. There is a weed research lab in New York State. I mean, there's a few weed research labs in, <laughs> in this town for when walking past certain windows open. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I can say. They're doing some research. Great research, man. Um, no, there is actually a, a weed research center where they're trying to synthesize. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people turn up like, oh, those weed. Uh. <laughs> they're, they're, they're trying to synthesize the genome of weeds. Right. So that they can introduce the characteristics that weeds have that make them so successful into crops. Okay, that it's makes sense. Fucking interesting shit. To me and me alone. I mean, some people have been given money to <laughs> uh, explore the topic, so but that is not the topic that we are covering today. The topic we're getting into. So this is the first episode of the eight. It's probably gonna come out two months after recording it. Yeah. So we're not I think we're just gonna have to have a memorandum on mentioning like to, like uh real day topical topic. things. Yeah, topical. We can't be topical as much anymore. Um so we're going to jump into the topic, which is a broader look at, uh, in a sense, a comic book character, but originally a Norse mythological character. Yeah, I said that right. Um, we're <laughs> looking at specifically Thor, his basis in the Norse mythology, because also the comic book character and how you know much of an impact he's made, not just on comics, but the not on just his character alone, but how the Norse mythology as a whole. I think Thor is a cornerstone to start off from because, especially comics wise, everything Norse mythological branches Mythological. off mythologicalness. <laughs> it all branches from him. Like, yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably end up talking about Loki a bit. Yeah, I mean, he's integral to the to the story. So, but that is where we're going to go into this episode. Um, and I think the best place to start is, uh, I mean, as I said, I'm the. Re resident <laughs> comic book expert uh which means that i've uh bought a comic book once yeah absolutely yeah exactly and you being the literature expert we we're putting norse mythology under the literature umbrella because it's just not comics so it's everything else is yours but you are also actually uh let's say interested in what adept in the norse uh mythologicalness of the <laughs> of the genre <laughs> <coughs> you can't make a how many laugh. how many times can i say it how wrong can i say it you can't make a guy laugh so hard he coughs <laughs> but how did you how would you say you got uh started or interested in the genre of uh norse mythology yeah so i have always had a bit of a fascination with history and i was looking i was in a waterstones looking for something to read and i saw neil gaiman's adaptation of the norse mythology and i picked it i picked it up and read it and fell in love with it so much that i then read around the topic and started reading the source material that he had used just gonna have to stop you right there for a second because yeah. slight retcon of what i said uh, literature term retconning um we do have one little bit of news it's not even news it's a thing i sent you and i think it's a it should be brought up on one bit of news that, I, again, I don't even think it's like news news, but it's something I sent you and I think we, it's worth bringing up on here. I sent you a piece about, it was Neil Gaiman. Yeah. And he was asked by a fan um, of something of that he's done, but he was asked, do characters in the DC universe masturbate? And 
He, he said g- they did, didn't he? No, they're not he's, allowed to. They're not allowed to masturbate. He said are they? they didn't. And you know what? That explains a lot about the DC characters in that universe. How pent up and aggressive and frustrated they are, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, and I. Yeah, because wasn't he told when he was writing for DC that they weren't allowed to wank or something? I believe so. Yes. Uh, there's a there's a further extended bit about that. I think it was to do with the Harley Quinn. TV show. I think it was to do with the Harley Quinn TV show that um, basically there was a thing about Batman performing oral sex on Catwoman and DC were like, no, he would never do. No, someone, someone, (laughs) the quote was, I can't remember who said it, but the exact quote someone said was, heroes don't do that. (laughs) I think you'll find heroes do that. I mean, frequently. I, don't, I don't know any heroes. I'll say most people definitely do that. I mean, you're lucky. Well, the, yeah, exactly. If you, <laughs> if you meet a good person, you know, keep, yeah, you know. absolutely. But, and it just, it, it fed to this whole thing about like, not even censorship, but it's like, censorship is, if, if you're aiming something at kids, don't put sexual acts in it. Like, it's as yeah. easy as that. But if someone's asked you a question on Twitter, <laughs> you're just going to start this, like, <laughs> you're just going to start this needless, like, discussion about, like, do comic book characters, like, just say yes. Just, or no. Or uh, just say, like, uh, like it, it doesn't matter. Like, they're comic book characters. There's canonical evidence that Marvel characters... What, like, I don't know this, so go ahead. Well, there's that scene where Deadpool kills a bunch of people, and then he says, touching myself tonight. Yeah, I suppose Deadpool is the difference. Hey, he's in, he's part of the Marvel, the MCU. But what if he's the only one? Like, that's what's weird about the characters. Like, the other characters are like, you're gonna what? (laughs) Like, they've never... Are you suggesting Tony Stark doesn't get to the end of a long day and rub one out? I think billionaires probably don't need to. I think they they have, like, with everything else in their life, I think they have people for that. You reckon Jarvis does it? Yeah, probably. He gets one of the suits to do it, doesn't he? I mean, the, he puts he, a special flesh glove on it. MCU um, already confirmed that he uh, pisses in it. So, not to say that there's not other. Does Batman piss? I mean, I think. Is he ever just like, I'm going for a leak? I mean, he's never said that, but we have at one point seen Batman's dick. Is it big? It was in a shadow. It was an outline in a shadow. So you can't quite. Was it a big shadow? <laughs> I mean, even a small, his... even a small penis can cast a big shadow. I mean, if you get the <laughs> if you get the lighting right, um... <laughs> get the <a strange> reference <laughs> anyone? <laughs> I didn't catch this reference. I was just uh, I was just thinking about the physics of it. <laughs> but there was a thing where Batman, his dick was shown, and everyone there was outrage. So because apparently heroes don't have genitalia either. Apparently they're like they are action figures. They're just smooth down there. They have the Kendall nubbin. Exactly. So, but. I thought that was worth bringing it up because it's comic related. It's to do with the larger world and stuff. And, and it's Neil Gaiman. And Neil Gaiman said, Neil, Ga- Neil, Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman. Are you okay, mate? I'm having a stroke. But um, <laughs> Neil Gaiman said. What, under the, the table? Oh, that's got to be taken out. Nah, I don't know. Well, uh, no, you're a Marvel character, not a DC character. That's the problem. I mean, I'm more identified with Marvel. And I have a bit, <laughs> I'm a big Deadpool fan. So. <laughs> so. I thought that we've covered that as intensely as as a subject can be, and, Absolutely. That, and that will never be mentioned again until the next controversy happens. Yeah. We'll talk about it then. Um, so you were saying Neil Gaiman? Uh, it was um, American Gods. Was that no? Okay. It was so Neil Gaiman did write American Gods, which will have some characters with a basis in the mythology in them. Mm. 
Um, but he actually did a full set of retellings of the Norse mythology. And I read it and thought it was incredible. And so I then started tracing back through his sources until finally I arrived at the Prose Edda. Now, I'm going to be really delicate when I talk about the Prose Edda, and I'm going to say this right up front, that this is still considered a religious text by pagans all over Europe. Wow. And so I am going to treat this as I would treat a religious text, because I think that's only respectful. So the Prose Edda is generally attributed to a bloke called Snorri Sturluson, who lived in the 12th, late 12th, early 13th century. He was an Icelandic politician, is the best way to describe him. Um, so he was, I think it was twice, yeah, he was twice elected as the law speaker of Iceland, which is essentially their primitive version of a prime minister. Have we got a rough time frame for when this, uh, when this was happening? Yeah, so the late 12th, early 13th century. Right. So he lived from about... 1170-something to about 1240-something. Um, obviously, I'm sure Wikipedia would give me exact dates, but I'm not going to go with them because they're probably inaccurate. Oh, we don't badmouth Wikipedia. This is a pro-Wikipedia podcast. I'll get Wikipedia up, for fuck's sake. <laughs> You're on it now, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so Wikipedia would have him living between 1179 and 1241. Yes, depending on the source of the information. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um. And so I think something that's really important to discuss about the Norse mythology, as we call it, is that we only term it as such because it came out of Iceland during the Scandinavian invasion of Iceland. So Iceland had been invaded and colonised, I suppose is the best term for it, by Danish and Norwegian settlers. And so Snorri Sturluson was of that stock. But really, these stories come from Central Europe. And so these stories come from Saxon Europe. They come from Germany, France, that kind of area, most predominantly what we would now call Germany. That's interesting because most people in the modern day, we attribute it to um, Scandinavian exclusively almost. But if you think about it, Iceland is on the farthest reaches of Scandinavia. Yeah. You wouldn't, you would, you would, you technically, you wouldn't even call Iceland Scandinavia anymore. It's not in Fenescandia. I'm just going to, up top, I'm just going to say, geography, probably my weakest knowledgeable point. <laughs> so, um, to the point where the only thing I can say for sure about the map is that the the uh, shape of England looks like a man in a hat riding a pig. Kind of does. Which would make Norfolk the arse end of the, the pig. The arse and the pig. That's how <laughs> you find it. Um, but yeah, so the mythology as it exists mm. definitely has some tropes that you would associate with Scandinavia quite specifically. There is a god of skiing. Um, there, there is a god who will be invoked by people who are skiing to protect them. But what we're seeing is a version of these stories that had been localised by an Icelander. And it's also really prescient to point out that these stories were written down by a Christian. So everything's going to be in a slight uh, I don't know what you call it, a bias, maybe? Not necessarily a bias, because he was... So these stories would have been told by his ancestors at this point. Um, he existed within a good hundred or so years of, maybe even more, of there being Norwegian and Danish settlers in Iceland. Um, but he was a Christian man, and so what he's writing about here is an antiquated religion. 
by the time Snorri Sturluson wrote these stories down, they weren't necessarily followed as religion in the same way they would have been by the Saxons a few hundred years before. So it was more of a, these quirky stories from before rather than like, uh, these are the gods who might kill us, like kind of (sighs) reaction. It's interesting because the way it's written, it is written as a religious text. Okay. And it has the same way to something biblical. You have to be conscious of the fact that there is a separation of a good few hundred years between when these stories were first being told and when they were recorded. Right. So the mythology itself is presented part in prose, part in poetry. Snorri Sturluson was a poet. Originally, these stories would have been part of an oral tradition. And so Saxons would have told these stories around campfires and before battle. And they would have used them to invoke the powers of certain gods or the protection of certain gods. I think it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to assume that that's probably part and part with most religious stories and beliefs so it's all to do with like yes. the the heightened tensions of like battles and victories and and all that yes so it shares a lot of similarities between the native american stories um it also shares a lot of similarities with the big sky which is the native stories and mythology of the native people in australia the aborigine the aboriginal community mm. Um, whose religion is still very much alive and kicking. Um, the Big Sky is an incredible set of stories. And it also became... So there are, there are records of Romans who came into contact with Germanic Saxon people and recorded their religion. And so there are also um, a lot of similarities between certain Norse gods and Roman gods. And so there are, there are strong similarities between... I believe it's Odin and Mars and Thor and Jupiter and Loki and Mercury. Mercury, of course, being the trickster, the trickster god. Uh, Who I always associate because of uh, the Disney Hercules, Mercury was Hermes. Yeah, and so Hermes is the Greek name for him and he was the trickster god. Right. And so these stories seeped fairly deeply into European tradition. Um, it's where some of the days in the week come from. Yep. Uh, Thursday. Is Thaurus Day, Thor's yep. Day. And Wednesday is Walden's Day, which is Odin's Day. And so, yeah, they, these stories seeped really deeply into our cultural traditions. If you look at certain elements of architecture on um, British churches made after the Norman Conquest, you will see depictions of Jormungand, the world snake, appearing on norman era cathedrals these stories are very firmly entrenched in our understanding of ourselves as europeans and the reason we're talking about today is because they've not only done that but they're still affecting our fiction and literature and modern modern pop culture today and i think this is what's really interesting because a lot of people like me who are a lot of people like myself and i don't like to use this word for myself because i think it's a bit self-aggrandizing but scholars of the Norse mythology will get. Did you? Did you? Are, you've clarified that you're not a scholar of the Norse mythology. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. I. I wouldn't hasten to use that term for myself. I only ask because if. Uh, if you. If you were, I would have put it in the intro. Like, <laughs> and to our resident scholar, Jamie. <laughs> but I, I. I see it online where people who kind of consider themselves scholars of this set of stories will mock and deride Marvel fans on the internet because. 
their understanding of Thor is different to my understanding of Thor, you know. And to be fair, comic book fans in general, I'm all for ripping the piss out of them because they're they're a bunch that always deserve to be taken down a peg, in my opinion. And I say that as one of them. Like <laughs> we're not a good, we're not a calm bunch. Put it that way. But it's certainly true that when Stanley was farming for characters, he found something compelling in Thor, and you know he 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 used him, and he's become such a central focus for the Avengers. Avengers. Yep, yep. Avengers. <laughs> you got that one That's right. That's the one. I was about to say the Justice League, and I was like, that Ooh. is not right. We would have been cancelled. <laughs> and not not in the cancel culture way. I just mean then the our credentials for holding a comic book podcast Absolutely. would have been revoked. Um and so I suppose that brings me really neatly around to a question for you, which is what draws you into the Thor comics? What do you find enjoyable about Thor comics? What can you tell me about them? So I've I've read some Thor comics and they are very they're very interesting because they kind of feel somewhat separate to the rest of the Marvel universe. When specifically so specifically talking about Thor in the Marvel comics, the Thor uh Marvel and MCU character, his comics feel kind of separate because they're so entrenched in the marvel's version of the norse mythology so they've basically taken almost why i assume is most of norse mythology and they've made their version of it Mm. so their version is like they do a cute thing where it's like the norse mythology exists in the marvel universe because these asgardians were are kind of basically a race of alien gods essentially And they live for um, hundreds of years, like that's their normal lifespan. So they visited Earth in the time when the people saw them, saw their actions, heard their stories, and then recorded them and kept them as what became Norse mythology. So literally in one of the Thor films, uh, one of them's like, oh, come on, let's just go down to Earth, bang a bit of uh, thunder, drink some (laughs) mead with the locals, then we'll leave. And that's like, all these people are like, oh my God, we just saw gods. And like, write write it down, write it down. (laughs) So they do it in a cute way. But like the Thor stories, his, his, what they call his self-titled, his singular stories, they always feel a bit separate to the Marvel Universe. Sure, why not? Let's throw that word in. Let's (laughs) let's just start making up words. But... (laughs) They always feel a bit, I know, I know. Not made up. I know. I saw you choking on your drink to, to correct me. <laughs> but um, they they feel a bit separate because they have all this other stuff, which is all still, it's all Marvel. It's all technical, yeah. technically Marvel. But his is like in a, like in the same way that like, um, like a Guardians of the Galaxy can feel a bit separate because most Marvel takes place on Earth, but then sometimes the ones that take place elsewhere feel like slightly disconnected, even though they still have like crossovers and stuff. There's other the another big thing with the Thor character is what I've noticed, and th- this happens with a lot of characters that are on big team ensembles. Is mm. in the Avengers, he's very kind of like, "Yay, verily, let us strike our enemies," and like doesn't quite understand you know yeah. the Earth and its customs and that kind of stuff. So he's a bit kind of like fish out of water, like, "Oh bloody hell, Thor, you don't know anything, <laughs> you don't know anything, but you're a good lad." And then in his own stuff, he's like the weight of the leading Asgard is crushing my shoulders and I need to save the universe and, you know, I hang from the knowledge tree and all that kind of. So it's a similar thing with Batman where um, Batman in the uh, his own stuff, he has to deal with like a homicidal clown who has yeah. no powers or anything. And it's like it's like deep and noir and detective. 
And then when he's with the Justice League, it's like, bloody Batman just beat Superman. Like, whoa, like <laughs> easily. What's going on there, lads? It's such a difference in tone. And, you know, I think that's a common thing across characters, but yeah. just with Thor specifically, that he's quite upbeat and he talks in like Shakespearean in the main ones. And then the normal ones, it's still Shakespearean, but it's just a lot more grounded and a lot more realistic. And so there's quite a difference there. But he's been a character since the 60s, some of okay. the earliest Marvel characters. Uh, it was interesting you said about Stan Lee, because oh, interestingly, credit. I think the credited creator of the Thor um, creator 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 of Thor cre- <laughs> the 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 creator, if you will, um, the creator. If you're getting it right, the the, the creator. Um, <laughs> he it's technically it's Jack Kirby who is credited with creating a lot so of the original. So he's not a Stan Lee creator. So creation. so the first. Thor comic, it was written by Stan Lee and it was penciled by Jack Kirby, right? And he first appeared in uh what was it like Ta- Journey into Mystery was the was the original. And Stan Lee even has a bit about creating him. Um he basically says like he'd already created like the Hulk and mm-hmm. Iron Man and characters like that. And he was trying to think of where to go in terms of like a larger like power, you know, of the of the universe at the time. And um his thinking was he created powerful men how much like hulk like how much further could he go yeah and apparently he thought the natural progression was a god so he looked to norse mythology because he thought norse mythology was cool because it was viking based and he thought that would be a cool aesthetic yeah to bring back the problem with that is him stanley's explanation for what how he created thor Jack Kirby had used the Thor character in a DC comic about five-ish years <laughs> prior. So okay. Jack Kirby had drawn and written for DC. He'd written and drawn for DC, and then he um, he just used the Thor character in like a couple of issues of a thing. So there is technically a Thor DC character has not been touched since. Then he went to Marvel. Then he was like, hey, we, we should make a character. Jack Kirby. Uh, like, it's, it's disputed who decided to use it then. Obviously, Stanley's got his story. But Jack Kirby also used the character like yeah. years just before. So it's one or the other. But that is Stanley's explanation was he saw God as the next natural progression of, of powerful superhero characters. And I suppose it would have been too much of a stretch in America at the time to use a Christian God. And so he had to go from what would have at the time been a largely defunct religion. Honestly, though, um, any other, any modern religion um, character would not have been as cool. like. The Norse mythology, especially, as I said, it had the Viking aesthetic. Like it made yeah. it cool. Um, it made it more interesting because people didn't know much. Um, regardless of the the possible um, controversy, if they were like Jesus man, <laughs> like it's he's got the power of Jesus, whatever. Regardless of the controversy, it just wouldn't have been interesting. It yeah. just would have been like, yeah, we we see him every Sunday. Like, who cares? I but mean, imagine if he'd instead of having a. Snorri Sturluson's book in front of him that day it had a book of like Polynesian mythology or something and it yeah. wound up with Maui well even like like um Shazam and a Black Adam they're like Egyptian kind of inspired yeah. as well and um and there's a Marvel Hercules so that's Greek mythology obviously um so but the older ones the the defunct religions for lack of a mm. better term they they're just more interesting because people don't see them so people, yeah. would, people would see a Thor comic, they'd be like, oh, who's this? And like, oh, he looks like a Viking. I know those. And and I think something interesting has happened, particularly with the Christian Bible, over many generations of iteration. So you go from the old King James to the new King James down to the new international version of the Bible. 
where it's been sanitized and changed and used as a medium of basically fucking crowd control. Mm. The, the, you know, biblical stories have been used to control the masses. Yeah, 100%. And so those stories have morphed and changed, whereas because these religions are defunct and haven't been used in the same way, those stories and those characters remain in their kind of more original raw forms. I think as well, characters from religions where where the religions themselves were for people more primal people they were more fighting based like battle based deities so yeah. like thor's got a weapon a hammer like he's none of the modern religions have none of those have weapons hinduism well maybe yeah yeah if you look in the bhagavad gita i mean the bhagavad gita opens on a battlefield Okay. And Shiva is known as being an incredible soldier. He's got those swords, hasn't he? He's got yes. those curved swords, which, yeah. are, which are awesome. Yeah, and so, I mean, there are, there are some of the sand religions, as I would call them, that still have characters with that martial expertise. But you are right. Um, it was a very warlike time. Yes, exactly. And they were quite a warlike people, and so they had gods that waged war because you needed them. And if you're writing a superhero title where they're constantly fighting bad guys and villains, then literally one that comes with his own hammer is like, well, we're going to go with him then. So is the Thor of the comic books quite a warlike character then? Oh, yeah. Like the Asgardians, like they are portrayed as a, they're portrayed as that evolved race, but they peacekeep for the rest of the realms. Now, the realm situation, I'm not quite sure how they portray in the comics because You've got the realms which are interconnected, yeah. but they're also aliens part of the larger space universe as well. Okay. So it's hard to say whether the realms are in their own space or the, they have their own connecting thing. Or is it like back before we knew the the world, you'd have like yeah. a couple of islands that were grouped and they're like, oh, they're kind of separate places, but they're also part of the world yeah. already. So it's hard to say where they are, but the realms are used to portray every Norse mythological race within the yeah. and the asgardians they are peacekeepers but also conquerors and you know that kind of thing so yeah they're they're definitely a battle ready race yeah and so in the mythology there are technically two sets of gods which make up the asir so there's the vanir and the asir mm-hmm. um there was a war between the vanir and the asir um which unified them and they both went to live in asgard now there are some people who would suggest a humorist approach um, to looking at these. You humor, you, I don't know if you know what that means. Basically means you use a mythological story to represent real events. Do you so, think some people battled and made peace afterwards? So the Asir and the Vanir were two distinct pantheons, which at some point became one pantheon and they both lived in Asgard, right. which was originally the, the land of the Asir. The Vanir had their own home. Um, in Vanaheim? Vanaheim, yes. I'll explain later how I know that. And there's a humorist approach that you can take, which is essentially where you use something that happens in a mythology to represent real events. And so you, some could argue, and I think people have argued, that the coming together of the Asir and the Vanir was two warring tribes with their own distinct pantheons. And once they made a piece and swapped stories, those stories got intermingled and became part of the same saxon tradition um and so the realms operate fairly similarly in the mythology i imagine that they lifted it quite directly and so all of the 
species, races mm. that you see in the mythology will have their own realm. Jutenheim is where the frost giants live. Niflheim is the underworld. Um, obviously, you've got Asgard, which is where the Asir and the Vanir live. And then you've got Midgard, which is where the humans live. I think what's interesting is that when you were talking about Thor as somebody who seems quite separate to human culture and doesn't really seem to understand it, Thor is incredibly familiar with Midgard. Thor spends a lot of time traveling through Midheim, Midgard on his way to Niflheim or Jutenheim or wherever he happens to be going. Um, and so Thor is probably the god that is most accustomed to the Midgardians and most relatable to them. Well, that's, that's a huge staple of the Marvel character because the Marvel character is the guy, he's the Asgardian who came down to Earth, kind of exiled in a way. So there's a story in the Marvel comics, which is his reason for, I don't know if yeah. it's the same in the, the actual mythology Go or not. For a shoot. So what it is, is he um, basically is like a bratty kid, even though he's like hundreds of years old, but because Odin's still his dad, he's kind of in a, well, you'd probably call it like a rest of development, but he's, you know, battle hungry and he, you know, basically is a bit full of himself and he thinks he's the rightful ruler of Asgard one day and it's gone to his head a bit. And then Odin casts him out, um, basically to be like, you know, learn your place kind of thing. So he exiles him to uh to uh Midgard or Earth, and that's where he grows his affinity for the human race, and basically he becomes Asgardian's protector of as uh, of midgard and earth that is a complete fabrication on behalf of marvel that, well, yeah there you go then um so there's there's one exile in the whole of the prosedda which is loki's exile right. loki is exiled thor so thor is a foolhardy and incredibly aggressive character but he's not warlike thor isn't a soldier right thor thor is the god of farmers Thor is the Thor is the god that the proletariat would maintain a shrine to. Is that because of the weather control and farmers' reliance on weather? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Thor has power to control thunder and rain. Um, but Thor there were there was never any contest between Thor and Odin for the patronage of the uh, Asir. Yeah, I should say it was it was never a contest as such. It was more of like you know, like a prince being like, I'm going to be the king one day. Like, it was never, he, he was only eager to get to it. In I this. just can't wait to be king. So Thor in the mythology as it exists doesn't have that sense of entitlement to lead Asgard. Right. That's just not a feature of his character. He's incredibly hot-headed and incredibly aggressive. Okay, well then that's kind of part of it then. But he, he's never exiled by Odin. In fact, throughout the entire mythology, you very rarely see Thor and Odin appear together. When you see Odin appear, it is to generally um, clear up some kind of issue that Loki has caused. Well, that's very, very common in the Marvel. Mm. Um, I mean, if Loki is essentially Thor's greatest enemy and also one of his strongest allies as well which i guess is just a that's a symptom of any story of characters goes on long enough eventually enemies become friends friends become enemies and all that it's interesting because loki and thor often appear together and they travel together but they're this kind of brotherhood 
that the Marvel comics tried to establish between Thor and Loki doesn't really exist in the comics. So I know that in the comics and certainly in the MCU, Loki is Odin's son. Is that right? Uh, so in the uh, specifically MCU, so there's a thing with comics and comics and films is when the films do something a certain way, the the comics then reflect it. Mm. So I don't know if these changes were made because of the MCU specifically or if they were um, adapted before. They definitely didn't start off as such. But yeah, Loki, Loki in the MCU is essentially the adopted son of Odin and Freya. And oh, that's weird. I think it's Freya. I can't remember, or is it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, they they pick one because I mean, Odin had a bunch of wives, didn't he? Odin had one wife. Really? I thought it was at least two. No. So Odin's wife is Frigg. Frigg. I think it was Frigga or uh, Frigg. Frigga. Frigg. And yeah. Frigg is known to be the mother of Boulder and Hoda. Sometimes Boulder is a human that Odin liked. That he took favor on, but generally, Boulder is Frigg's son, as is Hoda. Thor is most definitely Odin's son, but it's never really established that he is also Frigg's. Right. It's never established that Frigg is his mother, possibly just because the stories that have survived don't establish that. But right. we, we can only look at the text as it exists. But there's this overriding sense in the MCU that Loki and Thor are brothers, and they're not. Yeah. So the, the MCU specifically does in a way where he's a uh, Loki finds out later in life that he was a frost giant that after Odin conquered Jotunheim, he took a child to raise as his own. And I think it was because it was the king of the frost giant's son. So that is a really common practice in medieval warfare. Yeah. Not the case in the mythology. Um, Loki isn't captive of the Asir, but he's also not one of them. Well, that's again, the Marvel thing is he's an outsider, but treated he's meant to be treated as part but he's kind of always felt like an outsider and then he finds out later why so loki's loki's i keep pronouncing it really laufrey is that a another um laufrey is a like one another name for loki that she sometimes yeah right so in modern icelandic which is largely unchanged from medieval icelandic you would pronounce thor thaur and loki lauki right and then odin would be Walden. Um, Loki's family lineage, if you will, is touched on really briefly, but it's never established. It's never a point of contention. You'll hear him called La- Loki, son of Laufrey, a lot. Oh, Laufrey's the ice giant, then. Yeah, that's where I'm getting that from. Um, but it's another name that's used for him sometimes as well. Sometimes his father's name will be used for him by other ice giants and stuff. Um, but there's never this sense that he is. Odin's son or his adopted son or his ward which is what you would call a captive from another you know another tribe that you've captured during war he is just there he just hangs out in Asgard with the Asir and they all kind of tolerate him right well yeah definitely different I I think the changes to the MCU and Marvel I think is to give it more of like um family tension on the stories you know it's like they're dramatizing it yeah they're dramatizing it by giving it familiar um tension and stakes and all that and you are my brother and and all that but but this is something that i think is lost because the whole way through with loki there is a sense of the other that's really really prominent so for instance frey has a coat of feathers which allows her to fly but when loki dons the coat of feathers he becomes a bird 
Um, right. And so there are quite a few occasions where Loki causes a problem, is required to travel really far to fix it. And so he'll take Frey's magical coat and assume the form of a bird and fly off. There's also a gender fluidity for Loki. That's been adopted by the Marvel comics recently. Well, it was, yeah, because wasn't it a fi- the Loki TV show, he transformed into a woman, didn't he? No, uh, so he um, met another version of him that was a woman. So in an alternate universe, oh, another okay. timeline, he was born as a woman. But in the comics, he is portrayed kind of gender fluid because he was a woman for ages, uh, for a while. And then he um, was a kid at one point. He was reborn yeah. as a child and he just says that. He's very kind of like, he'll just be whatever he fancies at the time. Loki's a shapeshifter. Yeah. Um, and I think Lo- Loki encourages the Aesir to make a bet with a frost giant that he can't build a wall in three seasons. Um, and they're not aware that he's a frost giant at the time. Most frost giants are shapeshifters. In the mythology, giant is a term that's used loosely. I was about to say, that's something we've spoke about before, and that's a misconception I had. So it's, yeah, it's a giant gen- is just monster, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Gi- giant is a generic term for any kind of monster. And so the giants are often portrayed as being really big, but there is a story where Loki and Thor travel to Jutunheim, and they go into Utgard Loki's hall. Utgard Loki is the king of the giants. And the literal description is many of them were large. Many of them were very large. <laughs> but that leaves there the fact that many of them weren't. I love the I love the idea that in interpretation for writing these stories down, like, oh, what does this part mean? It's like, well, it means many of them were large. It's like, that's too many words. I'm just going to say large. Just yeah. large or large. Absolutely. But, but it means that I imagine once the, the giants got Vis- visually portrayed in the comic books they became giants right oh yeah well yeah and uh, i mean i mean we were well into culture where giant has a specific term yeah. so for all for all, any mention of a race of ice giants whichever artist was whatever artist was penciling or drawing was going to be like yeah just giant os- giant ice monsters you know whereas there is a scene where one of the gods meets one of the giants and falls in love with her and marries her and she's never described as being huge yeah she is a giantess she is a monster but she is beautiful and he falls in love with her um and so this perception that i think people now have of the giants in the norse mythology being the giants that we have in other european mythologies yeah is a little bit off well, as I said, it's it's something that's kind of got lost in translation a little bit over the, the centuries, essentially. Um, the interesting thing about the Thor from the comics is his, uh, not necessarily origin, because he's not really had an origin in the sense he's had an introduction, but he's always just been Thor. It's just at some point Thor was then on Earth. Well, because I, I read some early Thor comics, and I was under the impression that the first Thor was a human who found Mjolnir, and by lifting it, got the powers of Thor. So yeah, you're mostly correct, and yeah. it kind of got retcon. So what it was was they it started out. So he had a human character called Donald Blake. Donald Blake was a somewhat disabled. I think he had like a a bad leg or something, and he couldn't quite um, walk. So he it has that. But yeah, he was basically he was a limited human who discovers Thor's hammer picks it up uh i think he taps on something and then he picks up and he becomes thor so then he becomes the superhero with the powers of thor they then retconned it further down the line 
um, in basically a way just to kind of tidy up like most characters got retcon later on mm. and then that became their their proper origin going forward um look at superman's powers when he first started at one point so at one point superman had the power to produce a miniature superman from his hand that had all <laughs> the same powers as him that was and really then cool. eventually they were like this is too many powers he's the super eating has got to go <laughs> but um so thor he could turn into thor and then it was retcon later that donald blake was always thor and the finding the hammer kind of released him from the kind of prison that was donald blake and the reason he was cast out, he was cast out of Asgard to Earth um, to basically humble him a bit. So they made him the Donald Blake human and took away his memories. So that when he then became Thor again, he had the, the experiences to make him a bit more relatable and understanding and uh, humbled a bit by his experiences. So obviously they wanted to bring in all the Thor mythology, but they couldn't do it if it was just like a... He's, he's just got a magic hammer and that makes a Thor. It's like, no, just, just make him Thor. It's just easier that way. It's interesting that they imbued the power of Thor in a MacGuffin in the original because that's very Marvel, isn't it? You you get a magical MacGuffin, it gives you powers. Well, that's very superhero yeah. just generally. And the reason is, is because the reason they started out with the Donald Blake character is they wanted to, Stan Lee especially, wanted to make his, his heroes relatable. Yeah. So as opposed to DC, which had already started in the late 40s and 50s, yeah. um, his were billionaires and as alien gods essentially supermen and amazonian women of legend and stuff but they weren't as relatable whereas um marvel very quickly had x-men who was just any person could have a power spider-man high school kid who became a superhero and with introducing thor they obviously wanted to make him relatable human who then got the, the MacGuffin, gave him the powers, essentially. So the idea that Thor's hammer wouldn't be liftable by anybody who doesn't, isn't worthy... Yes. ...is a construction by the Marvel Universe. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. non-canonical. And also the idea that it's the hammer is imbued with the power of thunder is non-canonical. Am I right in saying that the does the hammer, at least in the original mythology, have some kind of... Or Thor's the only one who can lift it? Or is that... No. That's... Com okay. That's not... So the, the hammer is stolen by a frost giant right really interesting story the hammer is stolen by a frost giant who says that he will give it back if he's given freya's hand in marriage and so they dress thor up in a white dress with a big thick veil and he goes and at the wedding feast he eats like a whole hog ate salmon all of the desserts and drinks all of the meat and the guy's looking at him like my my wife has an awfully big appetite and loki's like oh yeah, no, she hasn't eaten in eight days because she's so excited to marry you. And then Thor's getting a bit angry at this point and he sees his glaring red eyes and Loki's like, she just hasn't slept in seven days. And then he puts the hammer between Thor's legs as like, uh, you know, um, very symbolic, putting his weapon between her legs. Right. And Thor takes it up and kills all the frost giants. But the frost giants are able to lift it they're able to wield it. The only magical property that the hammer has is that it returns to him when thrown. But in terms of the hammer, Thor doesn't have the hammer at the start of the mythology. Okay, that's interesting. So there is a story where Loki steals Thor's wife's hair. He steals Sif's hair. And he has to go to the underworld, the world, uh, the world of the Dark Elves, the Ansari, and get them to make some treasures for a bet. Um, I've done a whole retelling of this story on my YouTube channel. You should watch it 
I think it's quite good. I mean, plug it now and plug it at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Myths of Sad Grown-Ups is the first one I did. It's called The Treasures of the Gods. It's really good. Um, it's a really great story. Um, but the the hammer is made for Thor then. And there's a fun little quirk with the hammer that the handle's too short. Because Loki has assumed the body of a fly and is biting the face of one of the elves who's ba- building it. And so he takes a moment away from the bellows that he's pumping to wipe the blood from his brow. And that is the point at which the forge goes slightly too cold and the handle's too short. So when Thor gets the hammer, he's like, this is great. I'm going to be able to do some real good smashing with this. <laughs> but also it's a bit small. And it's, it's <laughs> just... a reoccurring theme throughout the whole of the Norse mythology that Mjolnir's handle is just a tiny bit too short. I, I don't know why it tickled me especially, but just the idea of Thor getting the new hammer and be like hitting it in his hand, be like, oh, I can't wait to smash some things with this hammer. Like, ooh. I think his actual his actual words were, I'm going to be able to protect Asgard. He wasn't like uh, that character from Futurama, like, I'm going to give him the clamps, but like, I'm going <laughs> to smash him with the hammer. I'm going to smash him with the hammer. But yeah, the, Mjolnir is, it's, it's writ large in the mythology mm. and modern day pagans, modern day pagan boys will be given a pendant with Mjolnir. They'll be given a Mjolnir pendant as like a, a symbol of their maturity and ascension to manhood. I don't know how traditional that is, but you often see white supremacists wearing it. Ooh, it's a bit they, they always ruin it for everyone else I don't, there, there's this strange affinity between viking iconography and white supremacy i think it's literally just because it's mythological stuff with white people like i think that's an uh, almost exclusively white people i yeah. think that's why uh they're not too bright them 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 bunch unfortunately it's unfortunate because it's it's a beautiful tradition and the stories are great fun mm. and it gives it this icky murky undercurrent of white supremacy which i just think is disgusting is it like when a white person is like um when they're like i have a real uh interest in um military history and it's like are you are you slowly getting it are you slowly revealing it? 1939 to 1945 yeah. right is that is that is that the bit you like yeah is testing the waters to be like <laughs> and of specifically military history uh this little pie right here like yeah it's fucking weird isn't it yeah but it's it's interesting hearing the differences because, like I said, reading the comics and stuff, I see like this version, and I obviously I obviously have no barometer for accuracy when yeah. it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, I do think they the one thing they did early on was they removed the Donald Blake character. Yeah. Um, I think the reason for that was I think while trying to make him relatable and stuff, I think there was such a difference between the the human and the the human was not that interesting, but the the superhero was so i think after a while it's like he's thor all the time now and i think that probably was the reason for the retcon to be honest yeah i mean i think if you look if you take thor to be representative of anything he's representative of the proletariat and i think there's nothing regal about thor because in scandinavia and specifically iceland at the time that it was written they weren't really operating on a monarchical system anymore medieval norway or medieval scandinavia had a very strong sense of democracy and there were democratically elected leaders and so odin isn't a king he is just the leader that's news to me i i just assumed it was like a royal family type deal yeah so there will have been some monastic elements and the first king of sweden is said to be a son of thor 
And so there were some monarchical elements, but in that time period, particularly in Iceland, they had elected leadership and they had a really, really strong legal system. And so some of that does seep into the stories and there isn't a sense that Thor is a prince. He is just a really strong dude. Right, that's interesting, yeah. Because, yeah, he's always portrayed any Marvel comics or anything. He's definitely always um, the... not. The, I think it's because we assume anything that's old is probably royal family monarchy. Yeah. So because he was Odin's son and Odin's leader, I think later civilization was just like, oh, they probably he was probably next in line for the throne or something. Yeah, there's no sense of that. Right. Does he have the goats? So he, they do sometimes do the goats. Uh, <laughs> they've done them somewhat recently. Um, he lost his powers and his hammer and everything. Yeah. So he had to get around the universe without fly normally so he had to get the goats to pull like a chariot or something oh yeah because he does the swing swing throw fly when he has his powers yeah. not a thing in the mythology yeah he i think that's near to fly. i think that was i can already i could assume that was just like a, a superhero thing like look at him go kind of thing goats are sick the goats are so cool so they're magical goats that pull a chariot right a lot of the norse gods have these really interesting modes of transport um so the goats are one that's it comes up in a couple of stories hmm um, I'll go on to the goats because there's a really interesting character moment for Thor. Um, but Freya, so there's Freya and her brother and husband Frey. Right, brother and husband. Yeah, so they are the. Is this the Norfolk part of the of the <laughs> mythology? Weirdly, the Scandinavian mythology, you'd expect it to have made its way over to Norfolk in a really prominent way, because obviously of all the Danish influence, the Danes and the Anglo-Saxons. But it didn't really. We didn't get it much here. It's more more in the northwest of England. There was a big Danish population that still kept the old gods. I can um, imagine the Danish coming over being like, "We've got all these gods," and Norfolk people at the time being like, "We're still praising the sun. Like we're we're still dealing with this. So <laughs> we we can't handle like individual gods." Well, we we had a really prominent Danish population here. So it was the Danes that irrigated the Broads and turned them into the Broads. I say this is definitely this is the most impenetrable like niche knowledge like the Norfolk Broads. <laughs> well, so the Norfolk Broads are a river network in Norfolk. For anybody who's not been here, the Americans are like, and what's Norfolk? <laughs> <laughs> Take it back a bit. But in the medieval era, it was the best transport network in the country, mm. and it very nearly made Norwich the capital of England because you could get goods from Lower Stoft and Yarmouth into the into the populace of Norwich more quickly than London. Um, and it was the Danes that it was a peat bog and the Danes knew how to irrigate it because there was similar um, landscape in um, Denmark and Norway. And so they dug it out and flooded it and turned it into the Norfolk Broads. But there's not a lot of evidence of people keeping those gods in Norfolk. It's very strange. Nobody really knows why. Tangent, I'm sorry. Frey and Freya. Right. They are sweet home Alabama, baby. Roll, roll tide. <laughs> um, again, really common feature of mythology that incest is just kind of accepted. I, th I mean, probably from that time as well, wasn't it? Certainly in royal circles. Oh yeah, they, they keep the bloodline pure. Have I ever told you about consanguinity? I don't even know if what you just said was a real word or not. Consanguinity is a largely dead medieval practice of working out if two royals were too related to marry. When you do it really badly, you get the Habsburgs. <laughs> a 
and there's a uh, the, the the way to do it well well surely that was not just looking at the family tree. surely it wasn't like just going to the people like who's your dad who's your dad right there you can't do it because all of the royal families only wanted to marry other royals the ro- all of the royal families of europe at the time ended up being incredibly fucking inbred right because you wouldn't want a royal prince or princess marrying a commoner they could only do it so many times before it was one pool one gene pool and the problem is if you had a royal prince and you married him off to the daughter of a of another lord you are rising one family up against uh, rising one family up to the kind of lofty heights of royalty whilst the others are left behind and so it would cause a lot of infighting and could cause wars and so it was safer to marry your children off to the children of another foreign royal family because at least they were royal. But it meant, of course, that these royal families all became incredibly interlinked genetically, which is how you end up with royals with very weak chins and <coughs> George III who go a bit mad. I mean, look at the modern royals for uh, you have to go far. Well, yeah. So um, Prince Philip is one. Prince Philip's mum is Queen Victoria's great-granddaughter, and then the Queen is her great-great-granddaughter. For the sake of uh, relatable, interesting stuff, we should probably get back to the Norse, because if I was <laughs> listening to this, I wouldn't give a shit about <laughs> who royals are related to who. Um, but yeah, no, but it, it's, it's, so it stands to reason that at the time it would be quite acceptable for right. Frey and Freya to be brother and sister. And husband and wife. And husband and wife. Yeah. Is my brother and my lover also. <laughs> um, so Frey had a golden boar called Gullinbursty, who would light the way for him. He had golden bristles and he would light the way as he moved. He also had um, Skadbladnir, which was a magical ship, and it was the fastest ship you could have, which for a seafaring people like the Scandinavians at the time was a really important thing. But you could fold it down so it was the size and weight of a piece of paper. Handy. And then Freya had a mighty battle boar that she would ride into battle, but she also had a chariot pulled by two cats. I mean, that's of the worst animals to pull <laughs> a mode of transport. Cats are probably number one mm. after like sloths or something. But when you think about it in terms of medieval Europe, the first domesticated cats were not in Europe. Right. Um, the first domesticated cat breeds came from Africa and the Middle East. We just had, before there, we just had pet badgers or something, mm. I assume. Wolves and dogs. I mean, yeah, obviously dogs. Um, and so for Freya to have control of these two cats showed her immense power. It showed how powerful and suggestive she could be. And that's like today when you see a YouTube video of someone with, with a cat that does tricks. You're like, all hail this person and their Absolutely. power over the animal domain. Do you, want a, do you want a fun fact about Freya? Always. Friday the 13th. Right. Is now considered like a, a bad omen, a bad day, an ill-fated day. Friday the 13th was originally, in early Christendom, a day where you would celebrate Freya, the fertility goddess. You would stay the fuck home and have sex all day. Right. Friday the 13th was a sexy day. It was a holiday exclusively devoted to the goddess of fertility and you would just fuck it was christians who decided it was immoral bloody christians ruining everything i know so next friday the 13th what you need to do is go and get a friday the 13th flash tattoo because that's a fun tradition 
and do some scoodly pooping. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> uh, if you need, if you needed any more of an excuse, then uh, come on, baby, it's Friday the thirteenth. Like now, you have the excuse. You have to erect an altar to Freya. I'm so glad you said. I'm so glad you said. Look, by by talking about the pun, you ruined the pun. I know, I know. <laughs> but no, um, so Thor's goats. Mm. They are hard motherfuckers. Not not Thor is goated, although he is. <laughs> but you know, the young kid lingo. So they they have names that relate to like Snarltooth and stuff like that. But Thor is on his way to Jutenheim to go and see Gart Loki, and they stop at this farmer's house, and he slaughters the goats, cooks them, and tells the family to put the bones in the skins of the goats and to leave them the fuck alone. One of the kids splits one of the bones with his knife and eats the marrow. The next morning, Thor comes out, ties up the bones of the goats, and he consecrates them with Mjolnir, and the goats come back to life. But one of them is lame, because the kid broke its bone. Um, Thor gets pretty upset about this, and enslaves two of the farmer's children. Oh, Thor, come on, man. That is his response. Because because he doesn't feel confident just murdering a bunch of mortals, he enslaves two of the children and keeps them as his personal servants. And it literally says they follow him wherever he goes. And so every story thereafter in the mythology, like fucking Ragnarok, is it's implied that he's just got these two kids milling about with him. Hey, thought who are those? Ah, they're my slave kids. <laughs> it's don't, wild. Don't explain any further. Um, so that happens. Um, I can but- say for sh- for certain, I'm pr- almost certain that doesn't happen in the Marvel comics. But obviously, each of the gods will have a few different monikers and a few different names. Yeah, one of them is Thor the Charioteer. Like when people meet Thor, they'll be like, "Ah, oh, the Charioteer." He is known for his goat chariot. Like it's one of the things that he's just known for around Midgard, which I think is bloody brilliant. Oh yeah, of course. I I think there's whatever little interesting stories or tidbits they are about Thor especially but a lot of the Norse characters they have done some version in the in the Marvel comics mm. so he's definitely had points where he's like I need to get around somehow ooh there's these goats and it's like a wink and a nod like if you know the mythology then you know why this is uh, why we're doing this a lot of the treasures of the gods they have an origin story and there's a reason they have them because mm, everything needs to be a, a story yeah, so Frey has a magical sword. I told you about Frey and his giant wife earlier, didn't I? Frey has a magical sword that is so good it fights by itself. Um, he loses it to his manservant because he sends his manservant up to Jutenheim to propose to his wife. And the guy's like, well, yeah, but I'm having your sword. And he's like, yeah, cool, take it. And Frey dies in Ragnarok because he doesn't have his sword fighting beside him. And so there's these origin stories about all of the tools of the gods and where they got them from. Um, Odin's spear, Drogmir. There is an origin story for that. Um, his gold ring that drips gold rings. There is an origin story for that. Skifblavnir, um, Gullinbursti. They all have these origin stories. Thor just has the goats. It's there just is- <laughs> where are the goats? Where are the goats from? Yeah, they've just always been here. He just yeah, it, one like you're just reading it, and then one day it's like, oh yeah, and Thor had his magic goats with him, and you're like, which magic goats? Sorry, where did they come from? <laughs> Sorry, did I skip a page? <laughs> That's like, um, it's like the, we need to spice up the Thor story. So we're going to introduce some characters. How about some goats? Then... <laughs> sexy, sexy goats. <laughs> Let's just spice up this story. 
and um yeah there's definitely there's everything is everything is in the comics to a certain extent like they've done always a as i said a wink and a nod to the proper ones and they've made a reason for them the marvel ones um an interesting point that i do remember is i saw something else i think it was a youtube video or something talking about this but currently we are obsessed as a culture pop culture specifically we're obsessed with um big universes franchises that span universes and different characters and stuff and someone pointed out that the original universes like that were mythologies so yeah yeah. so every little story that people create and add on and continue on the story that is like the equivalent of marvel or dc on like lord of the rings and star wars it's it's that same thing of just adding and adding and adding lord of the rings is a fascinating one for you to bring up because it's christian inspired no ah jrr jrr tolkien yeah i was about to say george rr martin Tolkien, as we shall <laughs> Close call enough. him. Close enough. Tolkien, as we shall abbreviate it yes. to thereafter, was a big fan of the Norse mythology. And when he wrote Lord of the Rings, he was trying to create a new English mythology. Ah, well, he what bloody years later kind of basically did it. And if you look at the orcs, they have these interesting analogies to the frost giants. And the elves obviously are a more romanticized version. And then the hobbits are kind of his human halflings. Like they're they're the very human characters. They feast, they drink, they're happy, they live in their shire. And so he was really gunning for the Norse mythology when he wrote A dwarves, especially, like. Yeah, absolutely. The dwarves are an interesting one because the the dwarves in the Norse mythology kind of a bit elven, they're kind of a bit sinister. Right. They're a prideful bunch. So the dwarves made Mjolnir, they made Drogmir, they made Gullinbursti, but they're a prideful bunch and you have to go down into their lair and it's like these labyrinthine caves that they live in. Whereas the dwarves of the Lord of the Rings are actually quite a noble bunch, aren't they? I think they have elements of what you've just mm. said, um, but they all, all the races are a bit more homogenized together because they're all sharing middle earth so they can't be like in different realms like they yeah. have to occupy more similar spaces but they still have that like the elves are a bit more high and mighty and a bit full of themselves yeah the dwarves are a bit more like down to earth like blacksmiths work with their hands so they there's like a thing especially in lord of the rings and a lot of other um uh franchises where elves and dwarves are they view it they're like the high class and low class neighbors who kind of like yeah. oh the bloody elves up the row they think they're so good and like they have like oh the dwarves down the uh, they're a bit grotty and a bit uh, you know so it's yeah. it's a common theme for those kind of races D is another great expression of it oh 100 D is like well i mean lord of the rings was almost the first D inspiration wasn't it like that kind of middle earth i got in trouble on the D subreddit for saying that <laughs> oh um, now we're gonna be in trouble with the D <laughs> D nerds the D D nerds have enough going on at the moment Oh yeah, um, no, yeah. I mean, but this this probably come out two months later, so it'll probably all be resolved by then. But uh, yeah, no, our Wizards of the Coast were like, "We're gonna make a new OGL, and it's gonna be better because it's gonna have hookers and guns." And everyone's like, "Okay." Do were, think, were they like, like okay, or were they like, "This is the worst news I've ever had in my <laughs> life"? <laughs> Honestly, I played D I'm only half following it. Right. Um. But yeah, there are other high fantasy kind of source materials that D was drawing on hmm. but again a lot of the tropes that is used in D came straight out of the scandinavian mythology um i think something that 
I really like about Thor um, and his characterization. And I think it's lost a bit in the Marvel comics because they need to make him a hero. Mm. It's that he's dumb as dog shit. Yeah, well, he's not the smartest character in, in Marvel, for sure. Oh, is he not? No, I think he's... he's. Well, this is what I was saying earlier. So, like, in his normal stuff, he's he's probably... He's quite intelligent in his own stuff because he's in his own world. He knows everything. But as soon as you have him in Earth, they always play off the fish out of water, kind of like... He's like, what is this? It's like, it's coffee. It's like, it's delicious. You know, like that kind of... You know, like, ah, oh, he doesn't know anything. So it's it's definitely environment-based. Is that... A, is that... Have they done something similar to what they did to Captain America there, though, where he's misplaced in time? Well, Captain America, I mean, yes, to an extent, but obviously Captain America is much closer because Captain America is like, I'm in the future, so I know everything's different and I'm kind of on my guard. Whereas Thor is like, this new world, like you guys do everything differently yeah. how we do it, you know, so it's it's definitely exaggerated with Thor. Yeah. There's a joke in the first Avengers film where um, basically someone uses a reference um I think the reference is something like something about flying monkeys. I think they like Wizard of Oz reference and Captain America's and Thor is like, what are these monkeys you speak (laughs) of? And then Captain America's like, I understood that reference because he's like, (laughs) it's the first time. It's the first time. It's like, I knew it. And he didn't like, he's the the idiot now. So that they play into that a little bit. There's a really cute moment. And I think it's in the first Thor film where he meets or the first time he meets Dr. Strange and Doctor Strange gives him a stein of beer, and then he looks back at him, and it's gone. Yep. Um. So there's a story where Utgard Loki is challenging Loki and Thor, and Thor's Matt child servant that he stole to a Classic bunch of Thor to a bunch of challengers to allow them into his hall, and it's all deception. It's all magic. Um. But one of the challenges he gives Thor is to drain this horn of ale. And Thor drinks and drinks and drinks and drinks and drinks and can only manage to drain like a tiny amount of it. It turns out it was the sea. And so Thor was like, oh, I, I barely made a dent on it. And it got Loki when he was escorting him out and said, yeah, but look at the sea. You see the tides. You drank so much water from the sea that it no longer fills the sea. So it's ebbing and flowing now, thanks to you. This sounds like the worst YouTube prank of all time. It's like, <laughs> like the thumbnails, like... Watch me trick Thor drink the sea. <laughs> I think the best one is that he gives Loki an eating challenge, like a mukbang. And so there's a trough of meat, and Loki has to eat it faster than Utgard Loki's man, Hugi. Um, and Loki eats it really quickly, but then he looks over, and Hugi has not only eaten the meat, but he's eaten all the bones in the trough. And what he was actually competing against was wildfire. Right. So Loki nearly won an eating contest against a wildfire that just incinerated it all. So definitely the earliest incarnation of Mukbang mm. and and eating YouTube. I mean, he's got nothing on um. God, what's his name? Nick Ava- Nicardo Avocado was. Oh, that fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Oh God. But enough of him. Um, could, we've we've spoken too much about Nicardo Avocado or whatever Absolutely. his name is. He can't be a reoccurring character. No, not in this. Um. What's interesting about uh, the Thor comics, as I was kind of reading back, was mm. I was trying to have a look through to see what his kind of biggest stories were. And obviously, the one that most people know, especially because of the film, is they did their version of Ragnarok mm. in the Marvel. And that was about Serta destroying Asgard and, you know, the end of everything, Apocalypse and all that. I was looking through, see, I was saying, like, any of the peak stories. So I was reading through, like, 
literally the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. I got to a point where I was having to skim through like the two. I was I was skimming through and I got to a point and there was a story about how the character Donald Blake comes back. Yeah. And it turned out that he had been the time that Thor hadn't been him. He was a separate person in a void where Thor would go, where they would go when they were swapping places, if that makes sense. That's not fun, is it? Well, they made a big thing about it in this story. And I'd read this story quite recently. So I was like, oh, I'm quite, quite far down. I realized I was reading a story from the 2000s. (laughs) So what it is, is they have run out of ideas and are repeating what people think are interesting takes on the Thor character. And I think this is across the board, across all, all superhero comics that are still going, especially from the bloody 60s and 70s. But it just, what it, like, if you look at these stories, like the one I read and the one that I was actually looking at on, on the page, um, if you compare them, they're very different. Yeah. Like, different things happen. Like, what the one I read, Donald becomes a powerful enemy because he hates that he was right. cast to the void. Whereas in the earlier one, he was like a saving grace where he's like, I know, Thor's disappeared. He's gone to the void. And that's where I was. So I'll show you. But if you look at it, the entire span of the story of the character you're like there's the two donald blake stories they did like there's the two ragnaroks they did like they're just going through them over and over again and that's that's marvel and dc all over they've done bloody crisis on infinite earths a number of times they've done secret wars a bunch of times i think it's difficult to have a thor story that doesn't lead to ragnarok so the whole of the prosedda is building towards ragnarok right um so loki has three children uh the wolf Jormungand the World Snake and Hell, who Hell with one L. Yep. yep. Um, and she is the custodian of Niflheim. So the ennobled dead, if you die of disease or old age, instead of going to Valhalla, where the warlike dead go. You have to die in battle to go to Valhalla. Absolutely. The Valkyries come for you. Right. Another thing that Tolkien borrowed mm. um, from the mythology. Um and there is Everybody has this premonition that Fenrir is going to be an important part of Ragnarok. And Loki is actually imprisoned and he has venom dripping on his face uh, for eternity. And his poor wife just has to stand there holding a cup over it and then running away to empty the cup while this poison's falling on his face and then covering him again. Because they know he's going to betray the Asir and cause Ragnarok. And so the whole Prozeda is building towards Ragnarok. Ragnarok is ever present. One of the first things that's mentioned, even though it happens right at the end. And so I, th- I can see how they've, why they've had to do that so many times because it's the ultimate conclusion of any Thor story hmm. is Ragnarok. It's, it's, it's kind of both because like, it's everything you've just said. Yeah. And it's also the fact that they just, any, any story that works for a character when they run out of DS later, they just do it again. Mm. Like they, but they, but a new writer has their take on it or their spin on it. The problem with Marvel, especially as opposed to DC, DC hard resets every once in a while. Yeah, I and, know. But Earth they, two was one of their things, wasn't it? Earth two was when they had multiple Earths, but they also will do. Um, they'll reboot like the new Fifty Two, and then back again with yeah. whatever the latest one was. I can't remember off the top of my head. But they write it into the story, so everything resets because of something's happened. Marvel, like, we're resetting everything to one. It's like, okay, does the stories reset? They're like, yes and no. There was one time they did all new, all different Marvel. Like, that was the name. Yeah. Wasn't new, wasn't different. It was literally just everything reset to one, but they just kept going with the same stories. As an aside, I like the way that they recontextualize some of their characters. You mean and for the modern day? Yeah, so, like, the original Iron Man, 
was set around Vietnam, but then our Iron Man, if you will, was set around Afghan. Yep, same with the Punisher. Yeah, and then the same with Captain America. They brought him forward in history, didn't they? And so they're always just kind of correcting their timeline and bringing their characters back to a more relatable position. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting, more fluid way of doing it. I mean, that's a topic episode in itself, yeah. isn't it? Like further down the line. One we'll actually have to like spend time researching for, which is a bit Fuck of a that. drag, but... <laughs> oh, adults with homework i know it's awful isn't it but um i did look up earlier um other comics like not just marvel comics that might have used the thor character yeah that's Um, interesting marvel is the main one obviously dc did a bit um originally jack kirby before he went to marvel but also neil gaiman sandman is technically dc so he's of they use the character bit in that as well the interesting one i found there's a bunch of other third pie ones that have used. Look, he's like a he's a royalty free character, so he's been. I'm surprised he wasn't in the League of Gentlemen, <laughs> or a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But um, one of them I found we was, got so far. Hang on, one of them I found was. I'm doing it just in case I, you're going where I think you're going. So wait a minute. There was a collection, uh, America's Best Comics, ABC. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. I thought I was going to have this as a surprise. <laughs> So for the Go sake of listeners, America's Best Comics <laughs> was... No. They were... We nearly got through a whole episode. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hold it in. Hold, hold it in. It's okay. It's okay. He's ever present. Just like Jesus. He would, he would say, America's Best Comics were a publisher that released a series called Top 10. And in this series, uh, it's about... Um, it's about like uh, a police force that um, police force in a place where pe- everyone has powers and stuff. The way you're presenting this is also almost becoming tantric. Like, <laughs> you're waiting for the release. You are edging. <laughs> yes. So in this top ten, there was a there was an epi- there was an issue of this series where police officers interviewed the deity Thor and other gods as witnesses to the death of Boulder, and the series was by artist Gene Ha H A I assume that's and written it. by. Alan Moore. (laughs) The claxton goes off, the confetti falls. At this point, we need an Alan Moore air raid siren. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you said, I was like, I've got something to say. Alan Moore. Alan Moore's back. We did it. An interesting tangent on Alan Moore, because I'd never heard about any of this. Yeah. So America's Best Comics was um, a publisher started, essentially owned by and run by Alan Moore. How are we back to Alan Moore Corner? Because he's everywhere. I thought it was spherical, Ryan, but there's a little corner with Alan Moore in the corner. It's just writing away. It's because he's always there in the background. <laughs> and if you turn over enough stones, <laughs> Alan Moore will just be find... underneath one of them. He'll go, right. <laughs> right, mate. <laughs> um, I fucking hate watching. <laughs> so, so Alan Moore did a comic interviewing people about the death of Boulder. Yeah, an issue in it, yeah. So top 10 was, um, yeah, superhero comic, um, but it was, yeah, police force, uh, city with um, uh, powers, superheroes, and all that. So it was uh, super cool. But the the publishing thing, so America's Best Comics. So apparently these comics, I might be wrong about this. I think what it was, was all the comics that were in there were part of one universe, like DC and Marvel. And they finished in, I think, 2005. And the way they ended the comics 
is that Alan Moore was like, he had this one um, series running called... Somebody tried to make a TV show of it. And he was like, nope, fuck that. No, that's that's everything else. He, <laughs> he'd learned his lesson by this point. <laughs> no, they had, they had a series called... God, if I could just find the name. Right, they had a series. So Alan Moore had a series called Promethea, and it yeah. was and it was based around kind of Norse and um, mythology and stuff as well. And what he did was he was like, "This company, we're going to end the company. We're going to end all the running stories. I'm going to do an apocalypse." So they had this Ragnarok-like apocalypse in Promethea yeah. to end all the all the ongoing stories yeah. of ABC America's Best Comics, and that was it, apparently that was Alan Moore. He literally said, "I've never seen an entire universe within comics all have a simultaneous apocalypse and end." We should do that one. We we definitely should. That's definitely. I mean, we do America's Best Comics as a topic, or we could we would do a specific topic. We could do the one Promethea because that'll probably have some crossover. Yeah um yeah let's talk threads. let's park that and talk about it that sounds Yet great another alan moore title on the to-do list <laughs> because he's such an amazing writer we always you have hear to... that alan you're such <laughs> we know you're listening <laughs> you're such an amazing writer please come to my living room sir please. oh my god if he just turned up <laughs> we'd have to get him a really nice armchair i mean you've got a sofa so oh, that doesn't look regnal enough the dude thinks he's magic i don't think he's hey he is a wizard he, he is a wizard <laughs> As um, confirmed. You mentioned the death of Boulder. Yes. That's a big that's a big story, isn't it? It's a huge story. It's the it's the turning point that leads to Loki's exile. So Boulder is Frigg's son, and he's the most beautiful of the gods. He's also a great poet. Um, and he starts having these dreams with premonitions of his death in it. And so his mum Frigg goes to every living thing and asks it to swear oaths that it won't hurt him. She overlooks mistletoe because it's such a sad looking little plant that it could never hurt Boulder. And after this, Boulder is functionally invincible. And so the gods have a lot of fun hitting him with swords and shooting him with arrows and throwing stones at him because it doesn't hurt him. Loki assumes the form of a woman and talks to Frigg and finds out about his vulnerability to mistletoe, goes and picks some, and then he goes over to Boulder's brother Hoda who is blind and says, why aren't you joining in the fun? And he was like, well, I can't see him to hit him. And he's like, I'll help you. And so he knocks and stays an arrow for Holder, which Holder draws, shoots, tipped with mistletoe, kills Boulder. Yeah, I can already now see why a murder mystery kind of thing about this. So like after the events being like, hang on, how did this all happen? And then interviewing people to get to the bottom of it. That sounds really interesting. And Boulder's death affects the gods so much that Odin asks who is brave enough among them to go to Niflheim and beg for his release from Niflheim. Funnily enough, Thor is not the bravest of the gods because he's not the one who goes. There's a couple of times where bravery is tested and Thor is never the bravest of them. Wow, that's that's surprising. Yeah, so there's there's, there's this story where they're trying to bind Fenrir, they're trying to tie Fenrir up, the wolf. And Tyr is the so Tyr is the god of war. Um, a lot of the imagery of much of the way that Thor is visually represented in the comic books, if you look back at historical images of Thor, he doesn't look like that. He's just a big blonde, gingery bloke. The winged headpiece mm. that's Tyr. That's Tyr. That's more commonly associated with Tyr and Odin. 
Tyr is the god of war. He's the armorer of the gods. He's the bravest of them. He's the best swordsman. They try and bind Fenrir twice, and he breaks out of both of the fetters. And so they go to the dwarves and have them make a third one. And they use these amazing um, resources to make it that don't really exist. So they make it from the roots of a tree. No, sorry, they make it from the roots of a mountain, the sound of a cat's footsteps, and something else. And it's this tiny silken rope. And Fenrir says, well, I've tested myself against the biggest change you could build. This is no challenge. It's clearly a trick. So the only way I'll let you tie me up in it is if you, one of you puts your hand in my mouth. And Tyr is the only one brave enough to give up his sword hand. And so he puts his right hand in Fenrir's mouth and Fenrir bites it off when he can't get out of the fetters. Um, so yeah, there, there's, a, there's a couple of different tests of bravery. And it's never Thor that steps up to the that's definitely interesting because from our perspective and how he's portrayed now, that's obviously different to the original. Thor's not a soldier. Yeah. And so in here, he's like in everything I've seen, he's always been like the battle, first into battle kind of character. Thor is more about a one-on-one scrap. <laughs> Come on, let's have a bloody bare knuckle fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thor, Thor, Thor gets in there and just kicks the shit out of Frost Giants. But... If anybody is leading troops into battle, um, it's the Valkyries, Odin's female warriors who go and find the noble dead who lead his troops into battle. It's Odin mm. who leads troops into battle. It's Tyr who armors the gods. Thor is a blunt instrument. I mean, and carries a blunt instrument. Yeah, so. he doesn't carry a sword. He carries a hammer. Tyr carries a sword. Frey carries a sword. Odin carries a spear, the best medieval weapon. Mm. Thor has a hammer. Thor has a tool which he uses to smash in heads. He's not a soldier. He's not... Yeah, he's, he, he's not what I think our perception of him has now become. Yeah, and I, is it, our perception of him is definitely built on the fact that he's just been the protagonist of stories. And protagonists, yeah. especially in superheroes, they have to be brave and fighting and you know saving the day and all that, all that jazz. Thor's strong and he's headstrong. But he's not brave. At, le- at, least, at least when there is a test of bravery, he's not the first one to put his hand up. Mm. I mean, that makes sense, yeah. What's interesting is everything you've said recently, I have a somewhat knowledge of only because of where I was going to go towards the end of this was I was going to mention the God of War games. Yeah, God of War Ragnarok specifically. Yeah, that was the latest one. But the, the, the uh, say the original, the first of the reboot. Yeah. Um, first of the reboot, essentially, uh, is God of War, where the character Kratos, he did all this stuff in Greece, killed all the gods there, and was and kind of retired from that life in um, essentially in uh, Scandinavian, you know, like Midgard, essentially, like yeah. the realm of the of those realms. Um, but they are doing that story; they're doing the Ragnarok story, essentially. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of similarities in things. Um, the biggest difference, and this is spoilers for the God of War games, if you you haven't played them yet and you want to play them, because I'm going to give away a lot of bollocks, basically. But in the God of War games, um, Boulder is the enemy of the first one. Yeah. So um, he's kind of sent to find an ice giant. And he comes across Kratos and his kid. Kratos's wife has just died. So they've yeah their thing is to release her ashes at the top of the highest point in all the realms yeah which turns out to be Jotunheim. yeah 
they then discover that um, Jotunheim, the reason it was Jotunheim, she sent them there was because not only because she was a frost giant, she was also just looked like a normal human, yeah. but she was yeah, yeah, part yeah. of that race. Um, they literally make a point in that being like, giant doesn't mean big, giant just means monster. Oh, do they also? Exactly. That's cool. That's interesting. And it turns out, so the whole plot of the story, what the core of it is the father-son relationship between Kratos and Atreus. Yeah. It turns out that when they get to Jotunheim, um, there's a prophecy that was basically written by um, um, Kratos's wife, um, who was a frost giant, and it turns out that she prophesized everything that was happening to them afterwards. So the reason she said scat my ashes at the top of Jotunheim was to send them on send yeah. them on this adventure, which also involves them killing Boulder, yeah, because they find out about the mistletoe thing and Atreus shoots an arrow. So importantly, Atreus shoots the arrow that kills Boulder, right? Yeah. When they get to Jotunheim and they see the prophecy, all the ice shines are gone. Like, they're just not around. They find out that in the prophecy, the name that, um, the name that uh, uh, Kratos's wife had given, um, given their son before he was even born and before she'd met Kratos was Loki. He's and Loki. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. And that becomes the whole thing of him wrestling with this identity of like, should I be with the of ice giants? And, should I start Ragnarok? And Kratos is like, we will not go to war if we can avoid it kind of thing. But it's it's interesting. They do all the similar stuff there. They travel the realms and everything. Um, but the, the Thor um, portrayal in that is he's still quite like a fighter and still like a battle-hardened soldier for Odin. But he's also big and a drunk and yeah. kind of a bad guy uh, yeah. through a lot of it because he... he follows the bidding of odin and odin is a bit of a tyrant dictator of the realms yeah and it's interesting because odin's very wise so odin found and drank of a mead of poetry um which made him a great poet and then he drew and quartered himself on yggdrasil yggdrasil is the world tree so and he lost an eye that's where he lost his eye yeah mm. um but he got the mead of wisdom a mead of all wisdom doing that drank of it so odin's very very wise and he's the oldest of the god he was there right from the start but he's also a bit of a dick well yeah that's why he was prime material to be the enemy of the game there's there's a there's canonical evidence that he used to travel midgard disguised as an old man with two ravens on his neck and like challenge midgardians um so give them tests and he, yeah, he was, he's, he's a, he's a divisive figure. The, the closest kind of correlation you can draw between him and another myth- mythological figure is Zeus. Hmm. And again, Zeus is, Zeus can be a little bit tyrannical as well. Um, Zeus, you know, there's similarities between Zeus and Thor um, because they're both thunder gods. But in terms of their actual characterization, Zeus is most similar to Odin. Hmm. And their characterization kind of got a bit muddled up when Romans met Saxon. Yeah. That's just a thing that happened. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff with the games where they like create, um, was the spit, what was Odin's spear? Uh, Drogmir. They create Drogmir. Um, the dwarfs create it for Kratos because he needs a weapon to fight Heimdall because Heimdall can read minds. Heimdall's so cool. Heimdall is the biggest dickhead in the games. Like, uh, absolute Heimdall's arsehole. really cool. In this, he's like the biggest dickhead and he kind of keeps watch and he's basically like a lapdog for Odin, basically. Can I correct myself? Sure. Um, Odin's ring is Drogmir the Dripper. 
his spear is Gungnir. Well, what's interesting, so in the game, the spear is called Drogmir and it, it's hidden in a ring. So it's a ring that oh. you do something and it like the spear comes out of it out of the hand and you've got like an instant spear basically. Oh, that's really cool. So Drogmir is a gold ring, like an armlet, which mm. is a really common piece of jewelry from the era that men would wear, like an armband. Right. But every week it drips seven identical or eight identical golden rings. And now we're back to Lord of the Rings. And now we're back to Lord. Yeah, no, again, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the main takeaway from this is is how much how much Norse mythology has influenced modern pop culture. Like, yeah, hasn't it since the sixties? But I think even then, Thor was just one character. But now, yeah. it like there's so many things. Like I played one of the Assassin's Creed games, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I think it was called. That's set in Norfolk. Yes, part of it. Yeah, you could go to East Anglia. Yeah. And we were like taking, me and friends were like taking pictures and they're like, look, I'm in Norfolk. It's like, you're in Norfolk already. <laughs> yeah, but in the game, I'm in Norfolk. Yeah. So that was a rare thing for us to be like, woo, look at this. The Norfolk yeah. broads. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting to go about. I, I don't think we've covered like even a fraction of the amount of stuff that, you know, could be referenced. Even the Marvel comics, like there's all the villains that they've taken from Norse mythology and turned into um characters and stuff so it's we're definitely not gonna well i mean we haven't touched worlds so we're almost a, a hour 40 now probably yeah. less once it's edited down so don't take that as gospel if you're listening and thinking oh my god where's the time gone but but yeah we've we've done quite a bit for an episode and it feels like we've barely scratched the surface which is it, it makes for an interesting topic oh i could talk yeah we could talk for hours about this stuff i mean at some point if a if this all goes successfully then maybe we'll have like a f- pay wall protected you know like norse mythology a yeah follow up that'd be great yeah exactly once we're podcasting for a living like and making like mr beast money off it then i think, we'll... I think we shouldn't tempt the gods there yes <laughs> <laughs> famous last words like, yeah if you tempt if you tempt the gods they will laugh at you yeah they and then they they said they were going to be famous and then they just the podcast never took off. I mean, that's always a possibility. <laughs> this is the last episode. <laughs> if we, I mean, if we get 10 listeners, we'll keep doing it for those 10 listeners. Dude, as long as my cat listens to it, I'm happy. The cat has to. The cat has not got a choice in the matter. Yeah, she she will did. listen. Regard, listening is, uh, it, it happens despite her choice. Yeah, bless her heart. Mm. But as I said, I think we've covered uh, as much as we can for an episode. Yeah, that's, this has been really fun. It's been interesting to do it in this way because we're not going through um, a series or of issues of comic and being like, then this happened, then this happens. Like, it's it's definitely been a lot more sporadic, a lot more all over the place. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, if we get a chance, what'd be interesting is if we could do like a Norse mythology based comic. Yeah, that would be cool. And then you can we can follow that as more of a structure, and then you can kind of pipe in like, oh, this in the Norse mythology and what have you. So that's all for another time. That is for another time. Should I sign us off? Um, yeah, I think we can. Yeah, wrap wrap us up. Wrap take, it up. Take us home. Thank you so oh, much for one more thing before we go. I forgot to mention this. I was you said about correcting yourself. Yeah, we said in a previous episode. I think it was last week's on Scott Pilgrim. We talked about the Lion King game. Yeah. I found out literally by happenstance afterwards, you were correct on the difficulty of the Lion King game and the reason for it. Was I right? Yeah. So that's so good. The thing I had was mine was specifically true of the transition from arcade games to video games. Ah, The difficulty didn't change when they changed the medium. So the sweet, sweet vindication. Sweet victory. Yes. Oh, I love it. Live for it. We'll, we'll keep some kind of tally in the future of like, <laughs> you were right about this thing in the previous episode. Um, so thank you very much for listening to the Comic Literate Podcast. Mm. 
If you'd like to provide any feedback about anything that was discussed here, please send it into us on a postcard. Uh, yep, we're gonna we'll, we'll set up some kind of um, what's it called, a PO box or something. Yeah. We will. Um, we have an email, uh, comicliterate at gmail So who monitors it? Uh, I guess I do technically because I created it. So. so yeah, send emails. That's fine. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more from Ryan. You can check out the Comic Stands YouTube channel. Which probably by the time this drops, maybe <laughs> will be a, l- a little bit closer to that being a reality. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can hit up uh, Myths for Sad Grownups on YouTube or Byronic Monkeys on TikTok. And we will also have some animated shorts on TikTok and YouTube shorts and all the places to ch- generate buzz for this amazing, amazing in-depth analysis that we are giving on a hopefully weekly basis. Absolutely. Thanks mm. very much and goodbye. Goodbye.